Welcome to BSing with Sean K. I'm your host, Sean Neese. And for those of you who are new listeners, I interview people that are not living the typical 9-to-5 lifestyle and they're choosing to pursue their passions instead. And I usually try to bring on people who are authentic with what they do. Or at least I feel they're authentic and not necessarily going along with what's popular or... Uh, what's trending or what'll make them the most money. Uh, But in the end, what they do is more valuable, at least to me, because it's real. It's what they want to say. It's what they want to put out there. And there's no BS, which is kind of ironic given the title of the show. Today, I'm going to play you an interview I did with Mark Anthony Wyatt. He's an author and musician and blogger. And he, uh, his main focus is the uh, paranormal. And you can look at his site, markanthonywyatt.com. And there's also uh, a link. There's a book he put out recently, uh, which we mainly talked about in the interview, uh, called uh, Wyatt's Re- Weird World. And that's like his experiences with the paranormal and his views about... Uh, those experiences and what they mean and everything. And no matter what your view is on the paranormal, if you're skeptical or if you don't believe in it at all, or, you know, you're a real strong believer in it. I think, you know, he's a very intelligent man and uh, he's, he gives some very interesting perspectives about it. So anyway, here's your interview and I hope you enjoy it. Okay. So you do a lot of things. You're an author, a musician and a blogger. And you also, you have an interest in the paranormal, but you also have a bit of an interest in geopolitics as well. I know the paranormal is your main thing, though. Uh, So maybe if you just want to expand on that and just tell everybody more about who you are and what you do and what your interests are. Okay, well, I think you you said most of that, really. I I, I write a lot on uh, the paranormal because it's the subject I've always been interested in since I was a kid. Um, in my 50s now, it's a long time. And um, I, I play guitar, and I notice you do as well from your uh, picture there. <laughs> um, that looks like a, it looks like a bass in your carry case there. Um, I play fingerstyle acoustic guitar. And uh, I saw the, the music I play and the music I listen to are quite varied, uh, well, very varied. But the music I play is totally different to the music I listen to, I would say. I prefer to play sort of free chord finger-picking, sort of John Prine sort of stuff, if you know John Prine. Um, sort of folky country. And um, but I listen to all sorts of music. And, uh, Are you picking me up okay? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can hear you pretty well. Uh, so... Yeah. I guess what could you say about um, the music scene in uh, England and how you got 
first became involved in it and what it's like now. Yes, well, yeah, I mean, I because because I'm in my early fifties now, um, I I actually hit the the punk era absolutely dead on when it first started in England. I was I was never an actual punk rocker. I wouldn't have I would never have dressed like that personally. We just went for the um, how can I put it? Well, uh, my favourite bands when I was 16, 17, so we're talking 76, 77. Um, I love the Undertones. I don't know if you know the Undertones. They're from oh, Ireland, yeah, Northern know. Ireland, Derry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they were my favourite band when I was a kid. Well, when I was 17, 18. Uh, we used to go and watch them all over the country, really. Um, we loved the Ramones. Went to see the Ramones when they come over. Um, the Clash, I've seen The Clash. Uh, the Jam, I don't think The Jam did so well in America. They're very English, really. They're one of those bands that I don't think took off in America. I might be wrong, but I don't think they did. Uh, they were from my hometown. Uh, so I sort of went through all the punk era, and we we had sort of a few bands, but we never really got out of the garage, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, it was never that serious. Um we had we did have a band when I was about I suppose eighteen, which had the most amazing name. Uh, we were named after a Groucho Marx line. I think it was Groucho. It's one of the Marx Brothers anyway. It was um, when they were on board the liner. I don't know if you remember the film. They they were stowaways on a big ship, and they there was some line where he said, "Captains don't play chess." I don't, I don't know whether you're Marx Brothers fans, but anyone who's, who knows them would know that. And that's what we called our band. <laughs> not, very catchy, not very catchy, but we liked it. So it was it was sort and, of a um, punk influence band, is what you're saying? But maybe had it. Or well, had... yeah. Well, no, we were always more sort of. Um, we were, it was punkish, but it was more like. Have you heard of a fall? Uh, as in F A L L. Marky Smith is um, he's, he's a northerner from northern England, and he's been going for forty plus years, I should think now. Um, very sort of sparse guitars, sort of riff-driven, quite um, not heavy at all, but um, of its of its time probably. Um, but anyway, I, I sort of moved on from all that really, and gradually my tastes changed. I wouldn't say they evolved; they just changed. Some of that music I still like, but some of it I couldn't listen to now. And as I got older. I started taking the guitar a little bit more seriously. I was a lot older when I started taking it seriously. And I started playing in local folk clubs uh, as a duo to start with. And then ended up playing on my own. What's it like playing shows now and how does it differ from uh, when you first started playing music? Well, I... As I say, I'm only um, I'm only an amateur, so that's I'm probably the wrong person to ask, really. Um, I mean, I when I do play, I only play in in a, in a local club, a uh, folk club, and um, I have occasionally played in pubs. Um, but it's just it's just part of a local scene, you know. It's just um, there's a there's a hell of a lot of people out there much much better than me. I just have done it for the love of it. And uh, was there like ever a point where you wanted to be like uh, just a touring musician and have that be your only job before you fell into other things? Or 
No, not really. I, I, when I was younger, I didn't take it at all seriously. Um, and sometimes I look back and I think, well, I could have done. But I, I, at the time, I, I don't think I had it in me to do it. it a, lot of, a lot of things I've come to do in life have come later in life. Because I don't think when I was younger, I don't think I was ready to do any of it. Um, I, you know, like my, my uh, from from my background, I mean, you, you often hear this story like people say, oh, how did you, you know, the, 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 the real stars, they say, how did you get started? And they say, well, you know, daddy gave me a guitar and all this sort of stuff, you know. Well, I never had that because my my family weren't, but they couldn't they couldn't have afforded to have given me a guitar when I was six or whatever, you know. Um, so and it, it wasn't really considered um, just through my background. It wasn't considered a a, um, a, a choice really. And so, um, what about uh, the writing stuff? Uh, you do and mm. the paranormal and everything. Uh, how'd you get into that? And uh, is that does that tie into your music in any way? Like, is it? Is um, not, not really. I mean, the, the paranormal stuff came. They, they, when I was a kid, I, I'll keep it short. When I was a kid, my my father was a steam engine driver. I think you call them engineers in America. And he um, he was cycling home from work in the middle of well early hours of the morning, and um, he saw this figure up ahead of him. It's in the middle of nowhere in the countryside, sort of four o'clock in the morning. And he saw this figure up ahead of him and like on a, well, it was on a bike. He couldn't tell at first. It was just like a light. And as he got closer and closer, he was gaining speed on this thing. And um, he, he passed this and he, it looked like a man on a bicycle. So he went, went around this slower moving bicycle and he went to turn to this guy on the bike because he'd noticed that he didn't have a light on and he was going to tell this guy you know oh, you've, got, you've got no light on your bike but as this guy as he turned to face him and this guy looked at him this figure on the bike and you know you can take this as it is but he didn't have a face it was just a void just a smoky void there was nothing there and um obviously that well, that was his ghost sighting um but it turned out we were living on a site of an old gunpowder works, you know, where they used to make the gunpowder for the Royal Navy and the Army and all the rest of it. And it, the site was there for 400 years, well, nearly 400 years. And in that time, they lost probably hundreds of people in accidents because, you know, a little spark could kill dozens of people. But gradually the, the industry learned how to sort of limit the damage by making big earth banks around the buildings where they were making this stuff and they put extremely heavy thick walls so that if something did go wrong the only people killed would be the people who were on the on the site on the job and not people passing by sort of 30 foot away um so but gradually as i say you know, loads of people were killed you know, suddenly, you know, young people, all sorts of ages. And it's left this. I mean, a lot of people won't know about this or won't believe this, but there are such things as I mean, ghosts is just a term um, in inverted commas, really, because we don't really know what they are. But they're like some sort of imprint on the um, 
I don't know how to, how to explain it really, but they, they sort of replay their final moments, I suppose. They don't know they're dead. I don't know what the answer is really. Um, but he, he saw this character and it, it was his only thing that he ever saw that was very strange. Frightened the life out of him because this thing actually disappeared. I didn't tell you that. This thing disappeared after he saw it. And um, I heard the story when I was a kid and that sort of got me interested. And then gradually as the years went by, things started happening around me as well. And, um, and I think people, some people are more prone to see things um, for whatever reason. They're more sensitive to it. And other people, it doesn't matter how much they see, they're never going to believe it. You know, they'll write it off, tell themselves that they imagined it, you know. So um, anyway, that's what got me interested. So, uh, I guess, uh, what is your beliefs about the paranormal and what can you say about what you've learned through your research? And uh... Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been on it most of my life, really, and uh, it's one of those subjects that the more, the more you think you know, the more you read, the more you listen, almost, it's almost like you know there's just a huge, huge... Uh, you know, the more you know, the less you know, because you become more and more open-minded the more you know. And you can't, I mean, any, anybody who says they know the answer, I mean, they they must be mad because we don't know the answers. It's just, um, it's, it's science that we don't understand yet. The problem is that people try to solve it with the science that we know now, because that's all we have. And that's their argument. Well, we have to judge it by what we know now. Now, if you take that argument, you could you could say, you know, so like the technology we're using today would appear to be magic to a guy living in the 16th century, even yeah. the 18th, you know, and it's just that's all it is. It's just we don't understand how these and and I mean I once had a conversation many years ago, well 20, 20 years ago, I was sat in a pub. And I'd been to a football match with a guy who was a friend of my, friend of my wife, and I didn't know him, didn't know him at all. All I knew about him was he was a friend, he was my wife's friend's husband, and he was a professor of physics, and he was the same age as me. And so we went to a football match, and then afterwards we went to have a pint, and the subject of UFOs came up. And I told him a little story about something I'd heard. And I'm sort of open-minded to it. And he said, very patronizingly, he said, oh, Mark, Mark, he said, if you were a scientist like me, this is basically what he was saying, he said, you would, un you would understand there's, there's no such things. He couldn't. And then he started giving me this really patronizing lecture about how many years it would take somebody to travel from the nearest star system, blah, blah, bloody blah, you know. And I, and I just thought, well, actually, you're judging everything on what you, we know now. Now, how are we to know that people, if there are other beings, and they, they might not be bipedal like we are, it could be any, any shape, any size. Um, how are we to know that there aren't races, civilizations on distant planets from anywhere? I mean, we don't know how big, we can only see so far with telescopes and so on. And how do we know that they didn't start millions or billions of years before we did? And if you think how far we've come in just a hundred years, 
to where we are now. I mean, my when my uh, grandparents were young, they were only just starting to fly. You know, idiots were still chucking themselves off of cliffs with feathers attached to their arms. And yet now, so brave idiots, I should say, brave idiots. But <laughs> <laughs> but nowadays, we, you know, we're you know we're flying across the Atlantic in a few hours, and uh, so you know technology moves on. I mean, just it's amazing how quickly it's moving. So you know that, his argument was just absolutely uh, well short-sighted, just very short-sighted. And I think this is the trouble. Too many people are wrapped up in the education that they receive. So so they go through the school system. They, they listen carefully, they, they absorb it all, they repeat what they're told to repeat in their exams, they get out the other end, it's like a conveyor belt, like a sausage factory, and they end up in university and maybe teaching other people the same stuff that they've learned. Now, some of them are open-minded, and that's great, because they're prepared to listen, but so many of them have tunnel vision, they're blinkered, and they will only repeat and accept what they have been taught. I mean, that's the best way I can put it. And yet, if we if we didn't have people who were open-minded and prepared to look further, we wouldn't advance as a civilization. Yeah. I mean, all, all the great inventors, you know, a lot of their ideas came from inspiration. You know, they were... You know, I suppose it was like Newton was supposedly sat under an apple tree, wasn't he? When it when it suddenly, you know, an apple fell on his head, or supposedly, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and he um, it occurred to him basically that there, there must be some force pulling stuff down. Um, so a lot of this stuff comes from thinking outside the box. That's what I'm trying to say, and not not within, a, not from inside that box. You've got to step outside the box. So you think like science could ever catch up to any of this, or would it be something yeah, think, that could never be proven or disproven with science? Well, you think it's probably always going to be a mystery? I guess. I think it'll always, I think it'll always be behind. Um, yeah, well, that's probably the wrong word to use because what I'm trying to say is, but when we when they do catch up, the left field thinkers would have moved on anyway. So it'll always they'll always be playing a game of catch up, and they'll never get on. Those two camps will never get on. Um, but the younger generation that are coming through now are growing up with all this UFO and whatever. They're growing up with that literature and those films, and they're less. They've got less tunnel vision. They've got. Um, they're more open to it. I mean, I mean, you can take there's a there's a biochemist called uh, Rupert Sheldrake, who is. Really, on, he, he, I mean, he's a professor, you know, but he's totally open minded and he's looking into. I think it's the um, oh, what's his theory called? Oh, my memory's gone, but he, he's sort of very sort of left field to the establishment. Um, and he and, the, you know, he's moving in directions that they, they, they fear to tread in, you know. And I think there'll always be people who are prepared to. You know, get outside of that box. And as I say, the younger generation coming through, you know, that they are they are not so uh, st- 
stuck in their ways, shall we say. They're, they're, they're interested in all this stuff. So is your work more paranormal research that you do, or do you have you... Yeah, uh, like done investigation. Like if someone had a paranormal experience, you. Yeah, we've done a few. I mean, we've we've done a few um, EVP sessions. Have you heard of EVPs? Uh, yeah, that's uh, like a electronic a sound. That's like a ghost making. It, yeah, yeah, like a spirit. Of, yeah, the, the sort of the jury is out on them. Some people won't listen to them at all. Um, other people do. I mean, it could well be radio interference, but it seems when you get specific answers to, spe to specific questions, it's the, the odds of getting the correct answer must be astronomical. So, but I'm, I'm sort of, I'm on the line on that one. I don't know either way, but I don't think we should um, discard it. Um, apart from that, I mean, I'm, I'm writing, I have, I've written a book called Wyatt's Weird World, which is basically all of my own experiences. And that's on Amazon. But I'm working on a new one uh, with a couple of colleagues, and it's going to be based on where I live, which is Cornwall. And outside of London, I mean, London is reputedly the most haunted city in the world, I believe. Um, but outside of London, Cornwall is the most haunted part of Great Britain. I mean, per square mile, there's more stuff going on here. Um, it, it's possibly to do with um, the ge geology because we've got granite. Every, it's granite underfoot, you know. And you often find that these weird experiences are on sort of where there's a lot of granite. So there could be a link there. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the book about Cornwall is going to be other people's experiences of anomalous activity, you know, whether that's um, UFOs or ghosts or whatever, or just strange stories, you know. And we've got around about 40 or 50 have come in without really pushing for it. We've, we've got a lot of stories already. And we're just going to sift through and get the best ones. And it's not really to convince anybody. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I don't try and convince anybody or any of us because you can never convince a sceptic. Um, and, you know, it's, it's for the sceptic to accept it or not to accept it. And it's for them to come to the conclusion that they come to. It's never for someone else to influence them. You can only, you know, follow your own path, can't you, really? And I think until you actually see something, you're not going to believe. Uh, and I totally, totally get that. Because if I hadn't seen the things I've seen, I wouldn't believe. I wouldn't. And if somebody told me some amazing story, I wouldn't believe them. Unless, because I have, I will. I take take the benefit of the doubt. But I, I can. I think I can tell from listening to people and watching body language and so forth whether they're spinning me a yarn. And also, you know, it's like it's like a police detective. You get used to talking to people about this stuff. And they'll know when somebody's lying or exaggerating. And I'm guessing when they're lying, it usually is a little more similar to an experience, maybe that would be in a movie or something like that. Exactly, exactly. You've nailed it because a lot of them do that. They um, they come out with some 
story about you know i mean i mean and I, you can't i can't generalize but you get people come out with these scenarios that are so similar to what they've seen in films um and you wonder did that come from watching the film you know maybe they believe it themselves maybe they genuinely believe it i don't know um i i don't i wouldn't like to say it's like for everybody to everybody knows their own truth I know what I've seen. I've seen some crazy stuff over the years. And I, I know enough now to know that it is real. Um, not the UFO thing, I have to admit, I've not seen enough to convince me of that at all. But ghost-wise, and as I say, ghost is just a term. And everyone has a different interpretation of the word anyway. So uh, from your experience, uh, did the ghosts you've encountered do they seem to be like actual conscious uh spirits of dead people or more just mm. sort of like a memory of who they were like a, a just replaying but not actually them yeah i think you're right on the second one um for my for my experience the if i just take one example um and, and i should point out that you know a lot of these tv shows that you see these ghost hunting shows where they've got all the gizmos and the gadgets and they're running around in the dark, and I, I don't take those shows seriously. I mean, they, some of them do their best, um, but it's entertainment. It's just entertainment. They're, they they might get the odd piece of evidence, I suppose, or as near evidence as they're ever going to get. But a lot of it is, you know, if, if you if you went to a real investigation. Um, these people who do the investigations will tell you that they'll be sat in some cold old mansion for, you know, six hours and they might not see anything all night. And yet they've got a TV show to sell. So they've got to come up with something. And unfortunately, they are tempted to fabricate some evidence. It will happen. It's human nature. Um, but the point I'm trying to get to is these things, whatever they are, they're there in the daytime as well. Although they might just come and go from wherever they are, you've just as much chance of seeing them in the daytime, and that's what I'm coming to, because most of the things I've ever seen have been in the daytime. They've not been at night. A, a, few, a few things have. Um, and there's different types. I mean, there's solid body apparitions, which I've seen at least three. And there's the sort of what I call the sort of pencil sketch, which is where it looks like somebody's uh, actually drawn a man with the muscle groups. And you can actually see, I mean, I've only seen it once, where you can actually, I saw um, sort of about one o'clock in the morning coming home one windy night. I was in a car and about 25 yards in front of me, I saw this, well, it was a man. I think it was a man running across the road only the thing was he wasn't solid it was like a drawing life size like six foot tall six foot ish you know and he ran he was running very very fast and it happened very very quickly i mean i only saw him for seconds and then he ran through a wall of a house and by the time my car got to the point where he disappeared through the house I was expecting to see an open door or maybe a gate at the side of the house where this character had gone. The door wasn't open. There was no gate. There was just a fence up against a wall. 
And funnily enough, there was a light on in the house downstairs. But by the time I, by the time, from when I saw it to when I passed the house, it was only like a few seconds. So whoever, if it was a person, a real living, breathing person, they didn't have time to get in the house and shut the door. Well, I don't think they did. And besides, this was like, um, it was just like a cartoon, um, like an old school sort of, uh, I don't know, Disney type cartoon of a man running. That's what it looked like. It looked like somebody had drawn it and then sort of set it in motion. And that, that was the strangest one I've seen. Um, and I, as I say, I think yeah, maybe it all has to do with energy. Uh, and like you said earlier, um, possibly like some sort of memory replaying. Um, in that maybe that was just a very, very old ghost that had been around for hundreds of years. And maybe it was the memory was fading. Maybe something happened there. Um, but I've, in, more, in more recent years, I've seen solid body apparitions. Um, uh, one example is I was approaching a railway station in, uh, on the edge of London on a Friday night, very, very busy. I was with two mates and many, many people about coming both ways because it was they were rushing to get to the train station or coming out of the train station. It was a place called Surbiton. And there was a very, very tall, skinny guy with a, wearing a bowler hat, which was very old fashioned, even when I saw him. And he was very tall and skinny, a bit like John, John Cleese um, in his Ministry of Silly Walks. I don't know if you remember that from Monty Python. That's what he looked like. And he was walking towards us, but he was head and shoulders above everybody else. And that's what drew my attention to him. And he was he sort of zeroed in on me. I could see that he was he could see me. You know, he was, it was as if he wanted to be seen. And I just thought it was just a strange guy, you know, just a weird looking, very, very tall, skinny guy. And um, as I watched him walk towards me, I just thought, what a crazy looking guy, you know. It was, it, I mean, that was it. I just thought, what a strange looking man. You know, you're like out of place. And then as he walked past me, he actually sort of looked down because I'm, I'm six foot, nearly six foot two. And he was taller than me, quite a bit taller than me. He looked down at me and he sort of had this sickly white skin, very white, and he sort of grinned. And that's all, he sort of, it's just like a weird sickly grin. And I thought, and I sort of felt very cold as well. That's the other thing. I felt very cold as he walked past me. And it, he got, this was like a crowd. So he's walking through a crowd as he approached me. And we're like all weaving in and out of each other. And as I stopped, to look over my shoulder to watch this guy walk by because I'd been so taken by how strange he looked. And as I turned round, he wasn't there. Just no sign of him. And I stood there looking. I was being jostled by people walking past me because it was rush hour, you know. And I, there was nowhere he could have gone. You know, I looked both sides. There was a road one way, one side, a little park on the other. He wasn't in the park. He wasn't on the road. No cars had stopped to pick him up and um, there was nowhere he could have gone. And being as he was so tall and he had a, one of his old fashioned bowler hats on, I would have seen him. So, I mean, that was a bit of a shock to the system because he was as solid as me, hmm. you know, and, you know, people do see these things. I mean, I, I know I have 
I've seen two or three like that. Uh, it's not it's not an everyday thing. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't see these things all the time. <laughs> I haven't seen anything for donkey's years now, but, <laughs> but I used to see them. Um, and I think they they are aware of who can see them. And I think they play out some sort of role. And I don't know quite how, you know, I don't know. It's a mystery, isn't it? But, so uh, what do you think... Uh their reason for reaching out is, is it just out of loneliness? Is there something maybe they didn't hmm. accomplish while they were alive or? Yeah, that's, um, I don't know. It is, it is, I suppose, I mean, may, maybe time itself is not as we think it is. So maybe, you know, this sort of A to B that we, or A to C via B, if you like, maybe it's, not like that outside of this reality you know once 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 we snuff it maybe maybe it's not like that maybe there is no time maybe that's a man-made construct in a sort of three-dimensional world um maybe um maybe they forever play their final days or whatever you know maybe he's forever going home i wondered whether because he was coming from the direction of a railway station. He was only, you know, like five, less than five minutes walk from the railway station where we were headed. And maybe he jumped on a line in front of a train because you do get these people, unfortunately, who do that. And maybe, you know, if, if there's like an astral body and we live on somehow, maybe he's still, you know, he's stuck. Maybe he's stuck, hasn't moved on. And maybe uh, when there's such a traumatic thing that happens, maybe a, a certain energy from it's always yeah. uh, left behind. Because people have said when they've you know visited Auschwitz that yeah. they still feel like that sad, like that, terrible yeah. energy yeah. from right. it. Or yeah. uh, I knew I heard about one uh, paint a guy who was painting a house in a, in an apartment in uh, New York City where a terrible murder had taken place and he he just felt like this sorrow when he was in there and he couldn't finish yeah, painting really. yes so i guess it's just I, I don't know i guess if it's that intense of a moment and if there really is no time maybe that moment never really leaves it's still yeah no, it doesn't doesn't dissipate it's just there isn't it i think I yeah. it. that's probably what it is um it's just it's just finding the language to explain it and uh, you know I'm, I'm well aware that when i'm trying to explain this but Skeptics will be if, they, if any skeptics listen, they'll be thinking, "Ah, oh, yeah, you can't prove any of this stuff. You can't prove there's such thing as energy or or ghosts or whatever." And I'm not really into in the business of proving to those people. As I say, there's there's never going to be enough um, proof that you can give a skeptic. There's never going to be enough, so, and it's a pointless waste of my energy trying to convince them, and I don't want to convince them. Because I think it's for them to um, to find out for themselves, and maybe they never will. Maybe they never will. Uh, maybe they're not ready to. I don't know. But I think you're right. There's some there's something much bigger going on than what than what we realise in our everyday three dimensional world. You know, it's um, it's something we just don't. It's science we don't understand. You know. And do you think there could ever be cases where something could really seem like a supernatural experience and feel real, but 
there's some kind of scientific or rational explanation for why that happened. Yeah, maybe I mean, in, we just can't yeah. explain. In some cases, yes, I, I feel there would be. Um, you just got to take each case on its merits, really. Um, I mean, maybe it's all something to do with the mind. So may, maybe like we, we've all got our own sort of consciousness. We're all, we're all conscious and we're all part of a super conscious, super consciousness. Um, maybe it's all wrapped up in that, in, in everybody's individual psyche. And, you know, like our eyes are receiving information all the time and we're processing it in our brains, aren't we? And I mean, like, like I'm sat here now and I'm building, I'm getting the picture on the screen of you and your um, study. Uh, and but that's all just information that's going in the information that's going in isn't the same as the information that's being replayed to me so maybe it's it's on the same sort of level maybe we're creating our own ghosts who knows you know maybe i don't know i mean we just don't know do we yeah because then there's other weird things that you know, that almost everybody experienced, like, deja vu. Mm. They've been to a place, they remember a place, even though they had never been there. And Yes. So it's just a... Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I mentioned earlier my father's experience with this uh, spooky old guy on a bicycle, and I said that he, that was his only experience. I got that slightly wrong, because he, he had one other one that I knew of, which was, he was, um, he was in the Royal Air Force, and he was he was only a young man and he was on leave and he visited a town in, in Cornwall where I live now. He visited a coastal town where he'd never been before, ever. As far as he knew, he'd never been there. And he knew and he told his colleague who lived in that town. He said, oh, I know this place. He said, when you get around the corner and he, he described what was coming. And, and his friend said to him, well, how did you know you've never been here? And he said, I don't know. He said, I've just seen it just had a flashback but it, when he looked at it when he spoke to his parents he was only like you know 21 at the time 20 21 his parents said well you've never been there and yet somehow he knew what was coming and there's there's various explanations for that have, have you heard of a guy called anthony peak sounds he, familiar he's a yeah he's a, yeah he is yeah he, he studies time and he's written some fascinating books about the nature of time. And um, his idea is that we're, uh, it's the same as, um, is it Nietzsche, the philosopher? I can never pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He said that we have like an eternal return where we're constantly coming back, li- reliving the same life. And Anthony Peake's ideas are quite similar to that. Um, and maybe it's like some... <laughs> some huge, hugely advanced video game whereby we're playing the same role. So, you, you know, you come back as Sean Lees again, and I come back as Mark Wyatt, and um, we try and do better than we did last time. You know, so, like, when we when we step out in front of the... Um, <laughs> when we step out in front of the lorry, this time we're going to see the lorry coming, and we're, you know, and we last a bit longer. Who knows? <laughs> because we get that deja vu moment, think, oh... Oh, I remember this. Uh, step back and the lorry whistles by, you know, and it blows us over but doesn't kill us. 
was last time, maybe we snuffed it at that point. Because some people claim that, I think, well, research shows that as you get older, you get fewer and fewer deja vus. So that could explain it. Because you're lasting, you're, <laughs> I don't know if I can explain it. If you're getting fewer deja vus, it's because last time round, you didn't last this long. <laughs> do, you, do you see my point? Yeah. So uh, you, if you you can uh, finally make it finally make it to level fifty five or whatever. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's just a theory, isn't it? But I mean, it's as good as any. Yeah. <laughs> and and also that ties in with um you know religious scripture religious can't even say it religious scriptures you hear this stuff you know like. When they talk about, oh, you know, he who believes in me and all that will have everlasting life. Well, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's the same life. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, you get all these parallel worlds, maybe, parallel timelines. You know, I mean, that's, that's a whole other subject. It's fascinating. But it's all just conjecture. We don't, we don't know, you know. Endless possibilities, I guess. So. Yes. Yeah. You can. I mean, you can change everything you think of to do every decision you make. You could, you know, when you leave your building, you could go left or you could go right. Well, maybe there's another you that went right when you went left. <laughs> yeah. And I and I know science science has been starting to like say that there's probably uh, parallel universes. Yes, right. Yeah, they're coming out with it in the mainstream, aren't they? Yeah. Which is mind blowing, really. But they've actually, they've actually, which comes back to what you said earlier. Um, you know, will will they eventually catch up? I think they are catching up all the time. Um, but they'll always be just that step behind. I suppose we need we need both. You see, we need we need the advanced foot soldiers, who are going to be called conspiracy theorists and and crazy idiots. But they're the ones who are opening the doors for the mainstream scientists to explore. Perhaps. <laughs> it's like a, you know, symbiotic relationship. So is this, this is a, so you're like a part of a, it's like a paranormal investigation group. Is that what it is? Or what is it? It's a... No, not really. It's just um, a very casual, um, I've got one one particular mate that I do it with, um, the guy called Derek Thomas, who's a lot older than me. He's been around a lot longer. He's been involved in various ghost hunting groups and seances and all this sort of stuff. More, more so than me. Um, I've always sort of just done my own thing, really. But um, he's done he's done a hell of a lot of investigations. And he's seen some amazing things himself. And he, he's 100% um, committed. He knows, he totally believes. But he won't believe anything that he sees online, no matter how good it might look. He won't believe any of it. And it's no, it's no slight on the people who put it up. It's just that he will only believe his own eyes. And even then he's going to have doubts. And I feel the same way. It's like, even though I've seen stuff, I'm still open-minded to two possibilities that it was some sort of trick of my mind. You know, I'm not 100% committed. I'm, I sort of, I sit on the fence on all of this stuff. But I am, I'm fascinated by it, but I sit on the fence. I'm never going to fully commit. 
So you don't really believe or disbelieve, you're just open. Yeah, yeah definitely, very open to it. And uh, just fascinated by the subject, especially by top, the nature of time. That's what really gets me. And parallel universes, this sort of thing. Um, I mean, p people talk about these UFOs and abductions and all this sort of stuff. And they there's one school of thought where they say, oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're coming from other planets and they're, they're in solid craft and all this sort of stuff. I don't, I don't buy into that. I mean, I might, I might be wrong, but I don't buy into it. I think that the likelihood is that they're coming from other dimensions. They're visiting us from other dimensions that are already here, you know. But um, I mean, there's guys on the web now that have got all the f fantastic technology, and they. You know, they've got their cameras pointed at the skies all the time and they're watching the NASA links, aren't they? They're watching live NASA feeds and they're finding stuff all the time. Uh, and they're, they're able to actually, and quite frequently, what would happen is something will, some craft of some description will come onto the NASA live feed behind the um, space station. And I've seen it a few times. And you'll see it move quite close as if it's curious it'll come close in and then it'll move off and then you'll find that NASA will take the site down and they'll they'll say oh we're just doing repairs and it's obvious because it happens all the time it's fairly obvious to me that they're taking it down because they don't want people to see this stuff they do know that this stuff's out there but that we're being watched you know by whoever thousands of who, who knows? I think it's going on, but they're never going to come out and say it. But I think anybody who follows this stuff and looks at it seriously, you've got to come to that conclusion. I think you'd have to be in denial to say that it wasn't going on. What do you feel? <laughs> uh, so, so you're saying you don't think it's extraterrestrials when people see like UFOs, it's more just other dimensions is what you're saying? Uh, or? Oh, sorry, I'll probably go that. It's a bit of both. I think it's a bit of both. I think there are, I think there are, I shouldn't, should have said that. There are extraterrestrials, I believe. And, but I think a lot of it is interdimensional as well. I think it's all of the above. I think it's far more complex than, than we give it credit for. And, if, if anybody's expecting these craft to land on the White House lawn or ten, outside 10 Downing Street, they're deluded. It's not, it's not going to happen. I think they, they, these people who call for disclosure and they get excited and say, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be this year, it's going to be this year. And it never is. It never is. And I don't think it ever will be. I think it will just be a gradual process of people accepting it. I think that as the younger generations come through, I mean, I know this for myself. When I, when I speak to people in their early 20s about this stuff, any of this stuff, they're very open to it. And nine, nine times out of ten, they'll say, oh, we know that. Yeah, we know that. It's obvious. Every, everybody knows that. And yet if I speak to somebody in their 30s, 40s, 50s or older, they'll go, oh, you're, you're, a, nut, you're a nutcase, you know, <laughs> because they're not as open minded. You know, because they, they've grown up in different times when it was, when all of this stuff was ridiculed. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I'm uh, I'm open to both 
possibilities as far as, you know, there being life out there. Uh, whether or not, I don't know what my belief is about UFOs or, um, but I, I've always kind of thought, you know, the universe is so big, there must be some other kind of life out there. But uh, I, I guess I'm open either way because recently, like, I, I, I've been seeing some studies that say that the existence of the fact, the chance of there being a planet like we have here with life on the level like that we have is so rare mm. that like mathematically that it's possible there is no other life so i, I i've i've mm. also taken that as a possibility but yeah. i'm open to either way i guess so. yes yeah I th- yeah i think i am as well i mean i'm just curious i suppose curious about it um i i, I when these um the sort of mainstream scientists who are sort of stuck in a sort of materialist atheistic sort of mindset when they are so um so full-on with their denial and they're they're sort of laughing at anyone who thinks differently to themselves they annoy me because they're just they're supposed to be intelligent they're supposed to be bright and i think you have to keep your you, know, you have to keep your options open. You've got to think about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, unless it's something as solid as, you know, the Earth is round, mm. which we've proven, then uh, if it's yeah. not 100% proven, there's it doesn't hurt to have an open mind. That's right, that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 All right, so that's uh, about it for this interview with Mark Anthony Wyatt. Uh, we talked a little longer than that, but, you know, I'm trying to had to cut it down a bit to, you know, keep it under an hour. So, yeah, so anyway, uh, it was an interesting chat. And uh, so if you are interested in looking more into Mark's work, you can go to markanthonywyatt.com. That's M-A-R-K-A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-W-Y-A-T-T.com. And you can order his book, Wyatt's Weird World. Uh, That's on Amazon. And, yeah, so if you want to be updated about future episodes of BSing with Sean K, uh, you can follow, you can go to my blog, bsingwithseank.blogspot.com. B-S-I-N-G-W- i t h s e a n k dot blogspot dot com and there's a link to my twitter and my youtube and everything else on there and where you can subscribe to my uh feed as well so anyway i'll catch you on the next episode